Kenton said, see you tonight. Dan Seaborn's going to be speaking 5.30 in the Res Center. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue a series of messages. We've been talking about effective spiritual warfare. The last couple of weeks, we talked about the name of Jesus and the difference between knowing the name of Jesus and having faith in the name of Jesus. Well, today we're going to take a jump to another really important part of spiritual warfare, and that's the effectiveness, the authority, and the power in the blood of Jesus. But what I want to do today is just kind of lay a foundation, and then in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to plead the blood of Jesus. Is it effective? Is it not effective? What do you do? What don't you do? We're going to talk about when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took that cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. What does that mean to you and to me? Uh, but Romans three, we're going to start right here. And I'm just going to kind of talk to you. This really isn't so much a sermon as it is a little talk about the blood. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Jesus is your propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, here's the deal. If you don't go to church and you live in America, you will probably live your whole life and never hear the word propitiation. <laughs> Nobody goes to Myers and says, where is the propitiation aisle? Because they don't have any. All right. Other translations say it this way, say that he becomes a sacrifice through faith in his blood or a mercy seat through faith in his blood. In other words, what Jesus did for you does not work for you or apply to you unless you have faith in his blood. Faith is largely dependent on knowledge. In fact, I believe we can say it this way. Faith is 100% dependent on knowledge. You cannot have faith for something that you do not know and understand. So we are going to just talk about the blood of Jesus. Now, if, if you've read your Bible, the whole Bible, uh, and, and I want to encourage you to do that, but there is a part in, in those first five books in, in, in Leviticus and in, in Numbers, Exodus, where it's talking about the temple, right? And there's a part where it says, you know, make the curtains purple and make them six foot tall and pick the poles and then have 50 rings of silver and then make this and make that. And then it goes one chapter and then it goes another 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 chapter. Some of you are going like, yeah, I know that part. All right. And as it just keeps going and keeps going, finally, you just get to the point and you go, ah, like, what is this all about? All right. Now I'm going to tell you what it's about. It's all about a box. Right? It's about a box called the Ark of the Covenant. It's made of wood. It's covered with gold. Right? And it has a lid on it. And by the way, the top side of that lid is called the mercy seat or the throne of grace. Right? And this is what God said. On top of that, by the way, there's some angels. And they got their wings spread out like this. And they're looking at each other and their, their wings are touching each other. And God says... He said, my presence and I will meet with you under the wings of those angels and above the mercy seat. Now, I know you all know about the ark because you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So you know about it, right? So the one thing that you know 
is you never open the lid. Right? You don't open the lid. One time the Israelites opened the lid and 50,000 people died. Right? It's a big deal to open the lid. Right? Now, if you open the lid, you will not find the well of lost souls. It's not there. But what is there are some stones, some tablets. Moses went up on a mountain and God took his finger and he wrote the commandments in stone. And those commandments that God wrote out are inside if you lift up the lid. That's what's there. And, and just out of curiosity, is there anybody here that has broken any of those commandments? Okay. So on top, under that mercy seat, there's those commandments. One time a year and once only, the Bible says that the high priest would go into that part of that tabernacle. Right? Now, Moses went up on the, on the mountain and God gave him those tablets and said, make the tabernacle and make it exactly the way that I show you. In the New Testament, we're told why. Because it's a copy of a tabernacle that God has in heaven. And in the part where the ark was, which was called the Holy of Holies, only one time a year could the high priest go. And the Bible says he could never go in without blood. And he would take the blood of the sacrifice that one day, the day of atonement, Leviticus 16, and he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat. And remember above the mercy seat, God said, that's where my presence is gonna be. Isaiah said the angels they're seeing God in God's presence. And this is what they say. Holy, holy, holy. Now, it's not true in English, but it's true in Hebrew. Every time the word is repeated, it's a multiplier. Right? But three times equals perfection. So what, what it's, they're, they're saying is we have a perfectly holy God. And, and how many of you are not perfectly holy? All right. And all of those commandments right above that mercy seat, the presence of a perfectly holy God. Underneath that mercy seat, inside, are all of the commandments that you and I have broken. But in between is a mercy seat covered with blood. A mercy seat that's covered with blood. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement or a covering for your souls, your sins. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. So God said there's one thing that makes an atonement or a covering for your sins, and it's blood. By the way, what can wash away my sin? Nothing, Nothing but the blood, the blood. Right? So you literally go to Genesis Chapter three, Adam and Eve sin, right? And God kills animals and takes the skins to cover Adam and Eve. Now the Bible doesn't say what kind of an animal, but I think that there's very little question. He killed lambs because the Bible says that Jesus is as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So when men sin, immediately blood was shed to cover their sin. Go to chapter four, you've got the first two people that were born, Cain and Abel, and they each bring a sacrifice to God. Cain builds his altar, 
And the Bible says, in the process of time, he brought some of the produce. He didn't bring the first fruits, but he brought some. He brought some sweet corn, some broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, some turnips, maybe, you know, a few blueberries and raspberries. And he offered those to the Lord. And the, the Bible says that God did not receive his offering. And his brother bought of the firstborn of the flock, sacrificed them, shed their blood, and God received his offering. Now, in the Old Testament, when you went to the temple, you had sinned. You would bring a sacrifice. Now, this is what the priest did not do. He did not say, what did you do? Who did you hurt? How often have you done it? What else have you done? What else have you done? No, the priest did not examine you. The priest examined your sacrifice. And if your sacrifice was perfect, it was accepted. And if your sacrifice was accepted, you were accepted. You were forgiven, no matter what you had done. It wasn't you that got examined. It was your sacrifice that got examined. And the blood was given to make an atonement for your soul. Right? So, we can, we, we, the, the book of Hebrews tells us what it was like to go to church in what was referred to as the tabernacle with the church. The Bible actually calls it the church in the wilderness. All right? Moses is out there. And this is what the Bible says Moses did when you went to church. It says that Moses took blood. Right? And he went in the tabernacle and he sprinkled all of the vessels of worship. The candelabra, the table of showbread, the altar. Everything got covered with blood. He sprinkled blood. And then it says that Moses took blood. And he covered or sprinkled, it says. It says he sprinkled all of the people. Front row, blood. Back row, blood. Balcony, blood. So you knew, I am not wearing white to church. Because if I go to church, Moses is preaching, there's going to be blood. Right? And then it says that Moses took blood. Right? And he sprinkled the book, the part of the Bible that they had. And you say, why would he do that? Because it is a blood covenant book. And so he sprinkled the blood. Right? Now, here's what, we, here's what we know. Every time that there's worship in the Old Testament, there's blood. The highest forms of worship always have to do with faith in blood. Right? That, that, that's, you, know, you and I, we think you know, when we clap, when we dance, when we lift our hands... But, but biblically, it's blood, faith in blood. You know, we, we, we commonly say, you know, I'm so blessed. Hey, you're blessed. But without really knowing what it means, if you research the word blessed, this is what it means. It means sanctified by blood or because of blood. When I say I'm blessed, I'm saying I have what I have because of blood. I want to hear you say that. What? Because of blood. I, I, I know there's people don't want to talk about the blood. A few years ago, I read a book by, by a, a pastor here in Grand Rapids, and he said there is nothing, no power at all in the blood of Jesus. But I want to tell you, there is nothing farther from the truth. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves 
but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. When Jesus died, the Bible says he took his blood. Now, not into the holy place on earth, but into the tabernacle that's in heaven. He took his blood into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. The Amplified says that he secured a complete redemption and everlasting release. Now, you could see what was happening in the heavenlies on earth. The Bible says that when Jesus died, that in the temple where that ark was kept in that holy of holies, there was this huge curtain that separated so nobody could get in except the priest once a year. And when Jesus died, the Bible says that it was ripped from the top to the bottom, right? It was 20 feet tall and four inches thick. And it was ripped from top to bottom. And what God was saying was this, I am no longer in just one place. The, the, there is not just one place you can come to my, into my presence. There's just not one place where you can find the mercy seat. Now, now he's saying, I'm out of that place because the blood of Jesus did not do what the blood of goats and calves could do. The blood of goats and calves could never take away sin. But the blood of Jesus paid once for all, complete, total redemption, secured a complete redemption and an everlasting release. Now, when it says complete redemption, it means that God didn't leave anything out. Everything is covered and included. God thought of everything. You are never going to go to God and say, God, this is my problem. And God's going to go, ah, I never thought of that. What are we going to do? No, because God thought of everything and everything was included. He planned for and provided for freedom in every area. We have coverage in every area through faith in the blood of Jesus. There are no special problems, no unique problems that are not covered, that were overlooked in the plan of redemption. Jesus paid for everything. You will not go to God and say, but I'm, I'm too poor, but I'm the wrong gender, but I'm the wrong ethnicity, but I don't have enough education, but my family, but I was in the wrong place, but it's the wrong time. No, no, Jesus paid for a complete, eternal redemption. And he paid too high of a price, too high a price for our freedom, for us to live our lives bound. I have a friend who a number of years ago took his family down to Florida to Disney in the summer. And he said they were waiting in line for a ride. And he said it was a busy day and it just took a long time on all the rides. But in front of them was this little boy, like six, seven years old, and they found out grandma, all right? Now, he's got a Mickey Mouse hat on, Mickey Mouse shirt. You know, he's drinking a big slurpy thing, you know, with Mickey Mouse on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the, the cup. And, and they're, they're waiting in line. And he's sitting there, hey, Grandma, Grandma, it's so hot. And Grandma, I don't like this flavor. Can I, can I have a different flavor? Grandma, it's so hot. And Grandma, why do we have to wait in line? I don't even know if I'm going to like this ride. Grandma, I don't want to wait in line anymore. Grandma, can't we just go back to the hotel? Grandma, you know, I don't want to be here. And Grandma said to him, shut up. She said, she said, listen. She said, I have brought you all the way from Arkansas, hundreds of miles I've driven to bring you here. Now, you know this, don't you? That the toothbrush was invented in Arkansas. Yeah. 
Because if it had been invented any place else, it would have been a toothbrush. But it's a toothbrush because it's from Arkansas. That's as good as it's going to get, so laugh. All right, that's my best for the day. All right, and, and then she said, she said, and I paid $2,000 for our hotel, for our food, and for you to go on all these rides, and you will have fun. I think God is in heaven sometimes. And he looks down at his children and he says, I sent Jesus from so far and he paid such a high price that you are not to go through your life in bondage, in addiction, depressed and defeated and in fear. He said, I want you to put some faith in the blood of Jesus and get some victory because I paid too much and he came too far and he obtained an eternal, complete redemption for you. I, th- I-, I want to just kind of like shake some of you and say, get some faith in the blood of Jesus. Get up now because you are released. There is redemption. He paid for you to be free. The Message Bible says he also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goats and of calves' blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free. Once for all. In other words, you can get free on Sunday and still be free on Wednesday. And the next Sunday, you're still free. And a month later, you're still free. You do not need to fall back into that pit. You can get free and stay free, stay delivered, because by the power of the blood of Jesus, you were set free once and for all. Now, I mentioned the highest form of worship in the Bible always has to do with faith in the blood. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, it talks about Jesus. It says, who washed us in his own blood and forgave us our sins. In Revelation chapter five, but by the way, this is is prophetic. This is what you and I are gonna get to sing during eternity. And it's not the only thing you're gonna do, but we are gonna sing this song. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. blood." Everybody shout it, by what? Blood. Blood, by your blood. The Bible says in Peter that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless tradition you received from your parents. Now, here's what this means. There is a part of you that is not of this world. God is the father of spirits. And God puts something in you that is not of this world. And because he puts something in you that's not of this world, nothing in this world could redeem you. You've got more value. All the silver, all the gold in the world could not redeem you. But he goes on and says, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver, gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's blood that was given. And it says here, we'll we'll sing, you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You know, we sing a lot about the love of God and and God loves us and it's important, but love did not redeem you. Blood redeemed you. Blood redeemed you. 
And in, in the Bible, worship has to do with blood. They would take the high priest, by the way, and they take him to the temple. And the Bible says they put blood on his right earlobe. And they'd put blood on his right thumb. And they'd put blood on his big toe. Now, by the way, the reason for that, this is what it signifies. It signifies that as you go through life, how many of you know, there's things you hear you don't want to hear, but it's under the blood, right? As you go, what you do, as you're going about your your, your life and you're working with your hand, there may be things around you, but where you're at, you're under the blood. And where you walk, you're under the blood. But here's what I want you to catch, right? Then the Bible says they took the anointing oil. And they put the oil on top of the blood that was on his ear. And they took the oil and they put the anointing oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, and they put it on the blood that was on his thumb. And then they took the anointing oil that represents the Holy Spirit and they put it on top of the blood on his big toe. Listen, where the blood is honored, the Holy Spirit moves. Where the blood is honored, the Holy Spirit moves. I hear people talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. But we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit, he bears witness to the blood. Hebrews 4.16. Because of the blood, let us then fearlessly, confidently, boldly draw near to the throne of grace. Now, the throne of grace is the mercy seat. The throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners. That we may receive mercy for our failures. Now, what does the blood do? Mercy for your failures, forgiveness. Mercy has to do with your past sins and failures and shortcomings and find grace. Now, grace has to do with today and tomorrow. Grace is when God gives you his ability, his blessing to do what you could not do without him. So there's mercy for our failures, but we can find grace to help in good time for every need appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. Now notice it says there's help for every situation. It doesn't matter if it's spiritual, if it's physical, financial, if it has to do with relations, uh, with, your, with your, your spouse, with your kids, whatever it is, there's appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. With Jesus, with his blood, he paid for a real redemption that has real answers to real problems. Mark, excuse me, Mark, Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So this is what the blood of Jesus is to do, is to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is kind of like a, do I have faith in the blood of Jesus test? Right? Question number one, do I believe that I qualify for the best blessings that heaven has? Do I believe I qualify for the best blessings that heaven has? Question number one. Question number two, and it's, it's right here in this verse. The blood cleanses your conscience. Right? I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me and said, hey, I'm Bob I'm divorced. I'm Mary. I'm an addict. I'm, I'm so-and-so. I'm this. I did that. I did the next thing. Right? Now, what we're doing is we're seeing ourselves and identifying based on our sins and our failures 
and our shortcomings. But the blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience. It will cleanse your conscience from dead works. And you won't say, I'm of this, I'm of that, I did this, I did that. You'll say 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He that knew no sin became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all these things are of God. See, the blood of Jesus will have you see yourself different. Now, when that happens, it says here, it purges your conscience to serve the living God. During the first service, during, during, right, right, right as the service was beginning, uh, we got a text. And uh, someone was diagnosed with, with terminal brain cancer. And uh, if I were to say to you, I would like you, the, the doctors give them, you know, very little time to live. If I were to say to you, would you please go and pray for them, that God would heal them, what would your response be? Like, you should send somebody else because God's not going to use me. God's not going to listen to me. My prayers aren't going to be effective. If that's your response, it's because you're looking at yourself and not the blood. Because the blood will purge your conscience that you may serve the living God. You feel qualified to do whatever needs to be done in front of you in the kingdom of God when the blood of Jesus has purged your conscience. Right? We need to have faith in the blood. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, listen, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of sprinkling is the blood that Jesus took into heaven and put on the mercy seat. Right? Now, it says that blood is speaking right now, and it's speaking better things than the blood of Abel. You remember when Cain killed Abel? If you've read this, is what the Bible says that God said, your brother's blood, it's crying out to me from the earth. And actually the Hebrew says, your brother's bloods, z, plural. Like all the unborn generations, they're crying out, they're crying out. And they wanted justice. They wanted, they, 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 they wanted punishment for what had happened, and God did that. But the blood of Jesus is speaking something different. It's in heaven right now, and it is speaking on your behalf, and it's saying mercy, forgiveness, blessing, deliverance, provision, receive them, use them. How many know that's a lot better? And that blood is speaking on your behalf and my behalf right now. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, there's a beautiful type of the blood of Jesus. It's Passover. The children of Israel have been oppressed by the Egyptians for 400 years. There have been nine plagues, and the king refuses to let the Israelites go. And God said, one last plague. Exodus 12. And God said, Moses, this is what you tell the people. On the 10th day of the month, let every family 
bring a lamb into their house. Everybody say into. Okay. How many of you have kids? All right. And you keep the lamb until the 14th day of the month. So first day, all you that have kids, this is what happens. You know this. They name the lamb. Right now, one of my granddaughters found a couple little bunnies, all right? And they're feeding the bunnies. And they're, they name the bunnies, all right? And they got to have the bunnies sleep in their room, right? Now, first day, they name the lamb. Second day, they're dressing the lamb. Third day, the lamb is adopted into the family and sleeping in their bed. And the 14th day, the fourth day, you kill the lamb. So here's what this is. This is the picture all through the Bible. The innocent dies for the guilty. The innocent dies for the guilty. Right? Jesus was the innocent. You and I were the guilty. Right? Now, Corinthians says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That lamb is a type of Jesus. Right? Now, when the lamb died... The lamb didn't have anything else to do. However, the people had something to do. They had to collect the blood in a basin and then stand in front of their house and take some hyssop, a very, very common shrub, weed in the Middle East. And they would take that hyssop and they'd stick it in the blood and cover it with blood. And then they would strike the right side of their house and put blood. Then they would go over and they would strike the left side of their house, stick that hyssop back in the blood and strike above the door. And this is what God said. He said, tonight, the death angel, the destroyer, is going to pass through the land. And wherever I see the blood, I will not allow that destroyer to do a single thing wherever there's blood. So the people had to apply the blood. And nothing has changed. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. His blood has been put on the mercy seat, but we need to apply the blood. You say, how is that done? Well, you don't go out and find a piece of hyssop, but you use the hyssop of your tongue. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And they, Revelation 12, overcome him, the devil. They is you. Overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You see, your confession needs to be what the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. That's how you and I apply the blood of Jesus today. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. He said that two men went to the temple to pray. He said one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, in that society, uh, the tax collectors were at the very, very, very bottom. They were worse than any other group. They were, they, they were collaborating with the Romans, those who were oppressing them. And Jesus said that the Pharisee, he went to the temple and he stood and he prayed to himself. Now, you, you know it's bad when you pray and God's not even listening. You're just talking to yourself. Right? And he said, God, 
I thank you right, that I'm so good. I'm not like other people. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of everything that I have. I'm good. And Jesus said that tax collector, he's over in a corner and he's beating, himself, beating his chest. Now, not as punishment or some form of penance, but just in sincerity. And he doesn't even lift up his eyes. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Most of your translations. A few of you have got a translation, this is what it says. God, be propitiate to me, a sinner. And the best ones say it this way. God, be a mercy seat to me, a sinner. Jesus said, that man, not the other, went down to his house justified. Now, I want to close with one last scripture. This is found in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to make some very imperfect people perfect, to perfect some very imperfect people. Perfect sacrifice, Jesus. Perfect person, Jesus. To make perfect some very imperfect people. How many of you know who the imperfect people are? Right. One sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, perfect person. Now, here's the result. By that single offering or sacrifice, he, Jesus, did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. How much of what needed to be done did Jesus do? Everything. He did it all. But now, now look at the Pharisee. He thought he was going to be made right because of what he didn't do. He said, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do this. Listen, it's not faith in the blood of Jesus plus what you don't do. It's just faith in the blood. It's just faith in his sacrifice, in his blood. Right? And that Pharisee, he, he not only thought it was what he didn't do, he thought it was about what he did do. He says, you know, and besides that, I fast twice a week and I give tithes and I work in children's church and in the parking lot and I do this and I do that and I do the next thing. Look, it's not faith in the blood of Jesus plus your good works. Good works don't save you. Now, you're going to be rewarded for your good works, but they don't save you. Right? So it's not faith in the blood plus what you do. And it's not faith in the blood plus what you don't do. It's just faith in the blood. Perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single offering or sacrifice, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. I heard somebody say it this week, this week. They said, if I went into church, the roof would cave in. Now, here's what they meant. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. You know, my works are too bad. Look, all your bad works don't disqualify you. And all your good works don't qualify you. One thing qualifies you. Faith in his blood. And he becomes a sacrifice. He becomes a blood-covered mercy seat speaking on your behalf in heaven today and every day. 
Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You're here today. And you may even wonder, why am I here? You're not here by accident. You're here because God loves you and God is drawing you to himself. But if you're here and you're not right with God, you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God. See, the Bible says to know that you have everlasting life. And if you don't know that you're right with God, you're not where you should be. You need to be able to know I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. I'm on my way to heaven. If you don't know it, you're not where you should be. And this is for you. If you're away from God, don't know where you stand with God, you know I need to get right with God. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God is going to hear your prayer. And when we say amen, you are going to be right with God. He's going to wash you in his blood. Your past is going to be gone. He's going to make you a new person on the inside. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift that hand. The first thing you're saying is you lift your hand. You're saying not to anybody here, but you're saying to God, God, I know I need forgiveness. I know I need to get right with you. I know there's just one Savior. There's one that can forgive me, and that's Jesus. I'm coming to him today to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give Jesus all in my life, all in my heart. Hold nothing back. I'm going to live for him. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart by faith. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three. Just lift your hand up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I'm not right. I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand, and that hand, and that hand. And another hand over here to my left, up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Way up there. God bless. Others, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Way over to my left in the back, against the wall. Thank you. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. But if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring the person that you came with. Bring your stuff, but come right down here. We're going to pray together, and God is going to meet you right here. And when we say amen, you are going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please come down. We'll wait for you to get down here. But make your way right now. Come on down. The Bible says that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. We're going to call on his name. And when we say amen, your past will be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be a brand new person on the inside. Your past, it's going to be gone. This literally is the most important thing that any person can ever do with their life. Get right with God. Change your eternal destiny. All right. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. 43 years ago, I was right where you are. Prayed one prayer, right? That prayer changed my life. 43 years have come and gone. It's still working. 43 years from today, if Jesus has not returned, this prayer is still going to be working, all right? Now, this is where it is. Romans 10, 13. Whosoever, that means you. It's going to work for you. The devil says it won't work for you. He's a liar. 
You can always take whatever he says, turn it around. That's right. All right. We'll call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is the promise in this verse. We'll be saved. When we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. Your past is going to be gone. All right, you ready? All right. Everybody, please take one hand. Oh, it's coming from the balcony. Come on down. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're making it down. We're going to wait for you. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. You know, the, the Bible says when just one person repents, that there is rejoicing in heaven. And there's a lot more than one person that's getting right with God today. It's awesome. All right. Once again, I want you to make these words your own. Will you speak them out loud? Please, one hand on your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And just make these words yours. Say, oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. And that you blood washed me from my sin. That my past is gone. That you make me a new person on the inside part of your family today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.